Numbers 21. In just a little while, our worship team is going to come back and sing a specific song that I've asked them to sing. And in just a bit after we bring the message today, I'm going to open these altars. And I think there's many of us that need some time with the Lord. Altar time. Amen. Altar time. I would dare to say it'd be good for all of us to come and gather around these altars to draw near to the Lord. And I believe the message today is going to help us this morning. And uh, I wasn't feeling well last week. We weren't here, which is a, a rarity. Uh, over the last 18 years, there have been very few services that I have missed. I'm still dealing with a little sinus, but I'm feeling strong today. And I uh, appreciate you being here today. I appreciate a couple, a couple of our families texted me and said they're joining us online. But we're going to hear the word of the Lord today. And I want you to not be distracted. I want you to let the Lord speak to your heart because I think we need this word today. And it's in Numbers 21. And I want to begin in verse number 4. <clears throat> Numbers 21 and verse 4. And then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go ar around the land of Edom. Noticing these words. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? For there is no food or water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he will take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and said, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole and it shall be that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. I want to take a title from verse 4, and I want to talk about I've just simply titled this message, Our Battle with Discouragement. Father, today I thank you for the prayer of our brother J.R. And I add my prayer for your help, O oh God, that you would give us the words to say. Help us to say them the way you want us to say them. I pray over every heart listening to this message or will ever listen to this message on audio or watch it on video. That, Lord, that this message would lift us out of the shadows of discouragement. 
and lift us up into the joy of the Lord. Lord, you know what is going on in each heart. You know the circumstances that we faced last week and the week before and the week ahead of us. And so, Lord, use this message to feed us and to nourish us. us. Bless us today. And, Lord, bless your servant. And bless us as we come around these altars, whether one or two or all of us. We thank you for this. And everyone said amen. amen. Our battle with discouragement. I think um, you would agree with this statement that all of us from time to time are going to face this battle. You know, as a pastor, there may be some battles that I face that you may not face. There may be some battles that you face that I don't face because of whatever place God has called you. But I, I think it would be honest for us to admit that all of us from time to time are going to face this battle called discouragement. You know, when you say discouragement, it just seems a little benign at first. But I want to tell you, discouragement is nothing spiritually benign about it, actually. I want you to know it's an insidious enemy that can snatch the life from you, your heart away. Proverbs says it this way. Proverbs 18, 14 says, A person's spirit can endure sickness, but who can survive a broken spirit? A broken spirit is just a spirit that just wants to give up. And maybe you've been there, and maybe you're there right now. A.W. Tozer said this, and I quote, he said, There is a danger in a defeated spirit in the Christian life. Did you hear that? There is the danger of a defeated spirit in the Christian life. For it can plunge us into discouragement. It can take out of us our spirit that is hope and optimism and drive, end quote. There was a little missionary. Now, we have Dorothy Wilson in our church, but there was a missionary in the 30s called Dorothy Williams. Dorothy Williams was a British missionary. She was a frail little thing. She was so frail, the missions board was even reticent to send her to West Africa to minister among the nurses there. But they sent her. They really didn't think she would last a year, but as the years went by, they were just amazed at her resilience. How I many know oh, God uses weakness? Come on, I said God uses weakness. We, we think all that our T's have to be crossed, all our I's have to be dotted, and, and we're always looking in the natural. But I want you to know the grace of God is the great equalizer. And, and little as much when God is in it. And one day as she was ministering among the nurses there, the African nurses, and that many of them would get disheartened by their own difficulties, by their own poverty. And one day there was a nurse carrying a tray of instruments, surgical instruments, and she looked so downcast. Here's what she said to, to Miss Williams. She said, oh, mom, like they do in Britain. Oh, mom, I'm feeling much afraid today. Miss, uh, missionary Dorothy Williams stopped her and, and took one of the sharp instruments off that little surgical tray. And here's what she said to that little nurse that was discouraged. She said this, and I quote, The devil has a tray of instruments too. And the shiniest and the sharpest tool is discouragement. It's sharp because he uses it so often. And at this, the little nurse blushed. And her spirit was lifted up a little bit. And she walked away from that little brief encounter with, a, with resolve. And I want you to know this today. Discouragement is the devil's tool. It'll cause you to want to give up. 
It'll cause molehills to look like mountains. It'll change the way you talk. It'll change the way you think. It'll change your attitude. I heard of another little story, read of a little story of a legend. The devil was advertising his tools for sale. But as they went to the sale, there was one tool that said, not for sale. And they began to wonder, why, why is this tool not for sale? Here's what he said. I can spare all the other tools, but I cannot spare this tool. It is the most useful implement that I have. It is called discouragement. And with it, I can work my way into the hearts of people, otherwise where I could not work it in. He said this, when I get this tool into man's heart, the way is wide open that I can do anything that I desire. Discouragement is the tool of the enemy. And here we come in Numbers 21, and it says here, the people were very discouraged on the way. The word discouraged here really literally would be better if you look in the margin. In fact, the margin of the text Bible that I use here of this New King James, the marginal note says literally impatient. The people became impatient. They became impatient with the way that God was leading them. They became impatient with what God was doing in their life. Have you ever tried to be a counselor for the Lord? Have you ever thought, Lord, this would be a great time to do this and so and kind of counsel the Lord? Well, I want you to know he doesn't need our counsel. His ways are perfect. His timing is impeccable. He is perfect in every way. And he makes no mistakes. But there is a danger of becoming discouraged. There is a danger of becoming impatient. And I would implore us today, I would press upon every Christian here today of the vital importance to having patience and having endurance in our Christian lives. I have watched many people, as well as you have, become impatient, get out of God's will, and it leads to nothing but trouble and nothing but tragedy. It's important that we learn to wait upon the Lord, that we not get ahead of the Lord. Do you realize some of the great people in Scripture became impatient and that led to great tragedy in their lives? I think today of Abraham and Sarah who wouldn't wait on God for a child. And because of their impatience, we have the Israeli-Arab conflict today, 4,000 years later. I think of a king, a great king by the name of Saul, who wouldn't wait on Samuel to give the offering. And out of that, which we read, and it just seems so benign, but it's anything but benign, he literally lost his kingship. And that's where it started, impatience. I think of Esau, who became impatient, who couldn't control his flesh, and it cost him his birthright, which, by the way, was one of the most valuable things that a Jewish boy could ever possess I think of the younger son who couldn't wait for the father's inheritance. And because of that, in his haste, it led him all the way to the pig pen. Now, impatience and discouragement is anything but benign. But there's a power in patience. I preached a message. It might have been 20 years ago. I don't even know where the notes are. I need to pull it out again. But I preached a sermon on the power of patience 
There's a positive power of patience as we wait on God, as we let God lead us into his very best. I implore all of us today. I implore us as a church to patience before the Lord. I employ you in your personal walk with Jesus to patience. Don't allow impatience or discouragement to rob you of God's very best in your life. Hebrews speaks to the Hebrews, amen? And here's what he said in Hebrews 10, verse 35. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. You have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming, he will come. He will come, and he will not tarry. God will show up in his time. Now the just shall live by faith. The justified one lives by faith. Not in one service, not in one day, but every day. It's an active faith. It's a verb. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back. We are not of those who draw back. We are not of those who draw back to perdition, but we are, but we are uh, but of those who believe to the saving of our soul. We look at Numbers 21, and I'm going to look at two things today, and I think this will help us immensely. I want to look at the reason for our discouragement and the reason for their discouragement, but I want to turn, the, turn it over at the end, and I want to talk about our resources I want, you know, you may be discouraged today. You may be impatient today. You may not even know how God is working in your life. But I want you to know there are resources that we can overcome those discouraging seasons in our life. Can I hear an amen? amen? So let's look at this. First, we discover as we look at this text in Numbers 21, which is a powerful text, we discover the reason for the discouragement. I would say this, the Christian life is not for the faint of heart. I don't know where we ever got that. The Christian life is not for the weak. The Christian life is a battle. The Christian life is not a playpen, it's a battlefield. And we are called to a strong, rugged faith. We are called to face problems and pressures. And as Paul said, be strong in the Lord in his mighty power. Paul told Timothy this. He said, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.3, he said, you therefore endure hardness as a good soldier. Don't be entangled in all of this stuff. You, you stand strong in the battle. The half-brother of our Lord said this in James 1.12. He says, blessed is the man who endures temptation. Blessed is the man who endures, for he, when he's approved, he shall receive the crown of life from the Lord who has promised to those who love him. So don't be fooled into thinking that the Christian life somehow is going to make us immune from troubles and trials and pressures and problems. Even Jesus said this, in this life, you will have tribulation. But I want to tell you, we got a way maker. Did you hear me? We got a way maker. Stephanie, we got a way maker. He's our way maker. He said, when you go through a trial, there's a way to bear under it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, I won't read it, but there's a way out. There's a way out that you may be led into a trial. You, here, they were led into a trial. God was in church. They were discouraged, but they were going to come out if they would wait upon the Lord. So let's be specific. Why were they discouraged? Why, why do you get, I think you're going to see yourself in this passage because for all these thousands of years, for God, all of God's people, it's the same battles we fight. 
The Bible, it says in Corinthians, that 1 Corinthians 10, 13, the battles, they're common to man. Remember that? 10, 13, they're common to us. You may think I'm the only one. No, you're not the only one. Only a million people have gone through the same thing. A million people on the planet that love Jesus and millions go through the same thing we all go through. So why were these Jewish people, why were these Israelites discouraged? There's five points of discouragement and there's four resources to combat them. Here they are. Number one is this. One of the reasons they were discouraged were delayed blessings. Everyone say that. Say delayed blessings. Everyone in this room, you prayed prayers. Maybe even today, you're believing God for something. Maybe you've been believing God for something for a month or a year. Maybe it's a family member that you're praying to be saved. And there's a delayed blessing. But if you've given up, you've given up too soon. The great uh, apostle of faith uh, of Bristol, uh, forget the gentleman's name. He had the orphanage. And he prayed for 50 years for his friends. 50 years for a group of his friends. And one of those gentlemen didn't get saved until they were lowering, lowering, that, lowering that minister down into the casket, lowering him down into the cold ground. At his graveside service, one of those friends that he'd prayed for for 50 years gave his heart to Christ, George Mueller. Delayed blessings. You say, why were they discouraged? Well, after 38 years, I said 38, 38 years, the Israelites basically find themselves in the same place they were 38 years ago. God had given them a promise in Exodus 3 and 8. I'm going to give you a land of milk and honey. I'm going to lead you in there. And that journey from, from Egypt to Kadesh Barnea was about an 11-day journey. And now 38 years later, they've been wandering around wilderness. What I would tell you is this, delays work into God's plan. God has delays worked into his sovereign plan in our lives. The Bible says in Isaiah 64, 4, God works on behalf of those that wait for him. Psalm 37, 7 says, wait upon the Lord. So there's, there's moments that are fit in that we have to wait. That are in God's will, done nothing wrong. They're just fit into God's plan. But I would also say this, there are delays of our own foolish making. And this delay was of their own foolish making. They came 38 years earlier to Kadesh Barnea. They sent the spies in. I don't have time to go into all that. Numbers 13 and 14. And they came back with an evil report. And now they wandered all this time. This was of their own making. And now here they are again, 38 years later, and they're still not in the promised land. Now, I don't know about you. There's long battles, but 38 years is a way long battle. Come on. You say, well, I've been waiting. I, I prayed, and I've been waiting a month, and I don't have it yet. Oh, listen, 38 years, and, and, and we could see. That's enough. That's enough to discourage any child of God. You may be here today, and you may be discouraged with your lack of progress. You may be discouraged with delayed blessings. Pastor, what should I do? 
you should look to the Lord because God can turn delays into blessing. And when God wants to move, he can move quickly after those moments of delay. But one of the reasons they were discouraged was delayed blessing. Here's the second reason for discouragement. And that's found in verse 5. They said, we're in this wilderness. We're in this wilderness. You brought us out here. We're in this wilderness. There's no water. There's no food. Now, that, that was an exaggeration. Now, that's another thing that happens when we get discouraged. Everything is worse. Everything is bigger. No one's gone through what I'm going through. And you want everyone to know. And it just gets bigger. And it gets in your mind. It gets in your emotions. So this is a bit of exaggeration. But what, what happens is... Another reason they're discouraged is present difficulties. Maybe you're here today and you've, you, by faith, you came to God's house whether you felt like it or not. Emotionally, I'm sorry, if you're sick, don't come. But, you know, I wasn't feeling last week. I didn't want to come and didn't need to infect you. But what I, what I want to say is sometimes we allow our emotions to get the better of us. But he, and you're here today and you're in a present trial. You're in a storm. It may be a relational storm. It may be a physical storm. It may be a job-type situation. It may be some other kind of thing. But we go through trials. In this life, you'll have trials. Tribulation, the word is. The Greek word is thalipsis. That Jesus used it just, it's like a paperweight. If you're paperweight, pressing down on the papers on your desk. That's it's that pressure that we go through. And they're in the wilderness. And they're going through a trial of lack, it seems like, if what they're saying is true. We don't have any food. We're in this wilderness. It's hot out here. We Texans can relate to that. <sighs> Oppressive heat. Hot in the daytime in the you know, desert. Cold at nighttime. The desert can, can fluctuate. And, and it just you're, you're high and you're low. Here's what Paul said. Paul said in Philippians 4.12, which is a verse we almost never quote. We quote the next verse. Remember the next verse? Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We read 12. It's in there. Remember 12? No, we don't know 12. Here's what 12 says. Because we like, we like, okay, in our American Christianity, we get rid of the 12. We get rid of that's That can't be in there. That, no, it's in there. All right? What about 12? 12 and 13 go together. Shout Amen. It's like that person, that, that little bread boss basket thing on your thing you pull out of Scripture every day. He said, what do I do with that? Put it back in the Bible in that chapter so you'll know what it really means. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. Oh, now, come on, help me now. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Oh, you came awake there. I lost you that, in that verse. Here's, here's what I'm going to tell you. Paul's saying, through Jesus Christ, I can handle any problem. Through Jesus Christ, I can go to any prison. I can suffer any need. I can be as abased as I can go. And, and Paul is saying, through the power that we have through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we can face trials and present difficulties. Paul said in another place, 
Paul had three significant prayer meetings with all the things he was suffering. A a messenger of Satan was sent to him, and he prayed that God would take it away. Three times, God, take this away. And then finally the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. What did he say? He was saying that I know how to be abased. I know how to bound through the presence of Christ. So that would tell us this. Maybe you're discouraged today. But if you're facing a present difficulty, don't complain. Don't give up. You say, what do I do then? You do what James tells us to do in 2, 1 and 2, James chapter 1. He says, brethren, count it all joy when you face or when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Count it all joy. Rejoice in the Lord. If you're in a trial, rejoice in the Lord. If you're in a trial, begin to lift your hands and begin to worship God because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. We, if, we, if you're in an abasing moment, you can do all things. That trial is not stronger than the Christ in you. But they were discouraged because of delayed blessings. They were discouraged because of present difficulties where they were in the storm. Thirdly, they were discouraged because there was discord in the camp. Look at verse 5. And the people spoke against God. And poor, everybody say, poor old Moses. They were mad at God and taking it out on Moses. I don't even think they knew they were mad at God. Maybe they did, but old Moses got all the brunt of it. Poor old Moses. They spoke against God. They spoke against Moses. Why have you brought it? I've noticed this. When there's successes, we did it. When there's failures, pastor, you did it. There's a little bit of truth in that. Why have you brought us out of, this, of Egypt to die in this wilderness? For there is no food or water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. Division had been a problem for Israel their entire wilderness journey. Division and discord had been such a problem that the Lord, the, the, the Holy Spirit, repeated a warning for us. In the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 10 and 10. And he refers to this kind of situation. He said in 1 Corinthians 10 and 10. In talking about things that kept them in the wilderness. And would damage our spiritual life. Paul says. Nor complain as some of them complained. And were destroyed by the destroyer. And you remember number 16. Korah's rebellion. When God had to intervene and 250 potential leaders were lost. Complaining sometimes is the fruit of a discouraged heart. The the root of it is discouragement. The root of it is we're impatient with how where God has us and what He's doing. And it manifests. The fruit of that is discouragement and complaining and discord. Among a group of God's people can be like a, 
a blanket of discouragement that can just envelop a people, can spread like a cancer, and can start inflicting people. I have found in, in, my, in my experience, I have found that divisive people are amazing evangelists. But they don't proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. They proclaim the gospel of negativity. And they're very vocal. And they want everyone to know how bad it is and what everyone's done wrong. And they are good at recruiting others. But dear brothers and sisters, we should never ever be a source of discord in the people, among the people of the Lord. We should, be a po- we should be a source of positive influence. We should be a voice of encouragement. We should be a voice of joy. We should be a voice of faith. We should, be a, we should have a can-do attitude because we need that. We don't need discord. We need to be promoters of hope and promoters of faith. We need to be like Joshua and Caleb saying, we are well able to do it. Come on, church. We are well able to do it. We can do everything God said we can do because he is amazing. And I would add this in passing. The Lord will hold anyone accountable, whoever they are, who brings discord. The Lord is very clear. In a passing verse, I would say, 1 Corinthians 3 16 and 17, do you not know that you, this is not just individual, this is talking about the church as a body, that you are the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Paul said this, do all things without complaining or disputing. And there was discouragement among the people. There was delayed blessing. There was present difficulties. There was discord. But there was also, this is a point of discouragement. And there was a detour in the text. Maybe as I read it, you didn't notice it. But look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, so they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around. Everyone say to go around. To go around the land of Edom. This speaks of a detour. Now listen, we know that according to the chapter before, the king of Edom, they had asked, can we go through your land? Going through your land would be much easier on us. We won't bother anything. We won't, we won't hurt anything. Anything we'll take, we'll pay for And the king of Edom said no. And so now they're having to go around the land of Edom. Now it's going to take longer. The journey is unnecessarily longer. And I would say to all of us, one of the problems that we can get into is having our preconceived ideas. Our preconceived ideas can be a bridge to discouragement. We think we know how God's going to do it. We, know, we think we know when he's going to do it. We think we know how long it's going to take. The Bible says this, and you'll know this verse. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding. 
even the message of the gospel that we cling to and we preach is a message no human being would ever come to. No human being would ever have had a man die on the cross, buried, raised the third day, and that would be the point of saving the entire world. But I want you to know that his death and burial and resurrection is our hope today. And that's beyond the human comprehensions and preconceived ideas of man. That Jesus, the pure, perfect son of God, came and lived on this planet 33 and a half years, was died on the cross for our sins, buried and raised for our justification. And that's what I believe today. Do you believe it? Because that's what the Bible teaches. Detours can fit into God's plan. But they can also be a point of discouragement. But I remind you of this, that in our detours and in our delayed blessing, God has our best interests at heart. Remember this verse? We know that all things, come on, work together for the good of those that love God and those that are called according to his purpose. We want shortcuts, but there are no shortcuts. Satan said to Jesus, I want to give you a shortcut. Matthew 4 and 8, if you'll fall down and worship me, I'll give you all the kings of the world. I'm paraphrasing, of course, but Jesus said, I'll take no shortcut. I'll take no shortcut. I will not worship you. And Jesus obeyed his father's will and died on the cross for our sins. And because he died on the cross, he defeated all the schemes. And then in Colossians 2.15, said he made a show of him openly in the cross. He defeated death itself. He gives us eternal life. Remember this. Detours can even be a way of God protecting us from something. If they had gone through Edom, they might have had a great loss of people. They might have gotten stumbled in some way. Listen, I want you to know, you may be discouraged, but detours can fit into his plan. Here's the last point of discouragement. And it's not evident in the text. It's actually the chapter before. And that's death. Death. You say, death? Yeah. Another reason they were discouraged is because Aaron had just died. Their great spiritual leader. Their great spiritual leader. A man who wasn't a perfect man. And we see that in scripture, which I appreciate deeply. (laughs) Aaron, the great high priest had just died. They had just gotten through with 30 days of mourning. It says in Numbers 20, verse 29, and when all the congregation saw that Aaron had died, all the house of Israel mourned for Aaron 30 days. A a loss of somebody spiritually significant in our lives can be devastating. A loss of a pastor, a loss of a Sunday school teacher, a loss of a mom, a dad, a loss of a, a prayer friend, a loss of a church member. I think of people that we've lost And we've lost them, and I I felt discouraged. I think of Mabel Hutchison's. think of Brendan and Pat Roberts. I think of David and Joe Cowan that passed away just not long ago. And there wasn't too many months ago. I was standing up here with JoJo, and we were talking, and she was looking at the building going up. And now she's not here. And it can be a point of discouragement. And they were discouraged. So what do we do with our discouragement? What's the answer? And there's four of them. And I hope that you'll take note because they're here in the text. You might not have noticed them. You might not have put them together this way. But there are four resources to overcoming discouragement. 
Number one is this, the cross of Christ. Everyone say the cross of Christ. Shout it again, the cross of Christ. Now listen, the gospel is everywhere. The gospel, when I look in the Old Testament, I don't go back there and try to be a Jew back there. But I, want to, I see in the Old Testament the typologies. And we have the gospel of Jesus Christ here. The Israelites had sinned against the Lord. They spoke against God. They spoke against Moses. And I want you to know when we sin, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. It's that way. And we've all sinned. We've all been bitten by serpents. The serpent of sin. And they came to Moses and said, Moses, we've sinned. We're dying. And I want you to know our world is dying. If there ever was a day that we need a church on this hill and we need to get out in these neighborhoods and we need to go share Jesus with people, it's today. People are dying every day. I drove through the, I shared on my little audio, I drove through the McDonald's down here. And the lady was there, it was a little before 6 o'clock. And I was heading to church here, and I stopped to get something to eat and drink. And I, lady there, I said, I said, you get up early. And she said, I was here last, all last night. And I asked her, I said, do you know Jesus as your Savior? And she said, she did. I said, what's your name? She said, my name is Dorothy. I said, Dorothy, I'm going to pray for you. She asked about the church. I told her about the church. And she said, I'd love to go to church. But here's what she said. They don't hardly even let you go to church anymore. They work you seven days a week. But I asked her, do you know Jesus? We need a church here. We need a growing church. We need a soul winning church here. They cried out, Moses, help us. And the Lord said to Moses, verse 8, here's the cross. Are you with me? Here's the cross. Verse 8. Make a serpent, the Lord said, and place it on a pole. If the people look upon it, they shall live. Do you realize Jesus used this story when he spoke to Nicodemus in John 3. And he specifically says this. John 3, verses 14 and 15. Listening. It says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, and that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, if we, if, if, if in our modern day, let me get on the soapbox. I'm just warning you, I'm going to get on the soapbox now. Soapbox. In our modern day, Moses, help us. They would say, you need a psychologist. You need a psychiatrist. You need a vacation. You need to try to do a little better. I want you to know, no one will be saved by works. No one will be saved by being good because there's none good but God alone. We are saved by grace through faith, that not of yourself, not of works, lest anyone should boast. I want you to know what we see in this Numbers passage is the grace of God. And what we see, Jesus hang on the cross, it's God's grace to save us and whoever looks can live look to Jesus and you live and listen to me the cross is, is heaven's only resource and when I say the cross Jesus is not on the cross I'm talking about the death the burial and the subsequent resurrection and his exaltation of the right hand of father God but the cross is the only heavenly resource to save us but the cross is also his resource 
to not just initially save us in, in, in being born again, but to sustain us in our discouraging seasons. You say, how do I know that? Because Hebrews speaks to the Hebrews again. Speak to us too. Hebrews 12 and 1. Look at this. The cross can sustain us. Listen to these words. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the patriarchs, all the Habakkuk and Nahum and all of them, Mary and Martha and Peter, James, they're all surrounding us. They've all gone before us. Let us lay aside every, uh, every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus, not, not just looking unto Jesus, going down the altar and saying, yeah, I want to I accept Jesus, but every day looking to Jesus. Look what he says, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, Endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. You want to come out of your discouragement? Get your eyes upon the one who hung up on the cross. You can go through your discouragement. You can re- you'll be exalted out of that. To gain a great spiritual victory. Look to Jesus today. The cross. Here's the second resource. And for the life of me, I don't know why more preachers don't talk about this. Second resource is the present intercession of Christ. Why is this so little? It just puzzles me. Listen, dear ones. Jesus is not on the cross anymore. He will never, when he comes back, he's not coming back to be beaten and lambasted and spit on and blasphemed. He's coming to reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. So if Jesus is not on the cross, and I've stood there in Jerusalem where they say the cross was, it's actually next to a bus station. It seems a little weird to be next to a bus station, but not so weird because he came to save the, the, the thronging masses, you know. But yeah, it's right next to a bus station. I thought, this is weird, you know, not quite as romantic as I thought it would be. But here's the thing. Listen, are you listening? What has Jesus been doing for 2,000 years? You think he's sitting at the right hand of Father God bored? No, the Bible's very clear. For the past 2,000 years, he has been interceding. For us, Hebrews says it this way. Therefore, he's able to save to the uttermost those who come to us. For he always lives to make intercession, Hebrews 7.25. Romans, I read this, Romans 8.34 says, Who is he who condemns? Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is ever at the right hand, uh, right hand of God, who always makes intercession for us. Moses, it says in 21.7 of Numbers, so Moses prayed for the people. When they came to Moses, he began to intercede for them. On that, on that day, there was only one intercessor in the earth, and it was Moses. Moses is a type of Jesus. Listen, there is one intercessor, and it's not me. 
There's one intercessor. There's not some great any. There's nothing great except God, by the way. There's one intercessor. There's one mediator. There's one hope that we have. There's one message that we have. His name is Jesus. Cling to Jesus. Look to Jesus. How to overcome discouragement? The present intercession of Christ. Moses prayed for them. Jesus lives to sustain us. Think about this. If you can get this, you'll never be discouraged again. Jesus Christ is sitting at the Father's right hand. And people say it this way. They just hang with me. You ain't got nothing to do but go eat. Come on. Let me get done. Can you let me get done? Come on. Who give me five minutes? Five, 10, 15, 20. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all are so kind. So, okay. I'm enjoying myself. I don't know where you are. I'm, I'm loving the Word of God today. Come on. We love the Word of God today. Come on. We love the Word of God. You think about this. People say, well, Jesus is coming to rule and reign. Wrong. Wrong. This is why we get discouraged. He's not coming to rule and reign. He is ruling and reigning. He has been ruling and reigning for 2,000 years. He's just going to show up pretty soon to let everybody know it. You say, well, you have a scripture for that. Certainly I do. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, 25. 1 Corinthians 15, 25. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. He's reigning right now. Right now, I want you to know you serve the Lord. You serve the Lord Jesus Christ. He is Lord over your discouragement. He's Lord over every problem. He's Lord over delayed blessing. He's Lord over present difficulties. He's Lord over death. He's Lord over all things. He rules and reigns, and he can bring us out because of his intercession. He's got a powerful name, the name of Jesus. Have you ever just got fed up with your discouragement? And just took authority over it in the name of Jesus. I cast you off my life in that mighty name. Whatever you ask in my name, Jesus said, I will do it. And as our living Lord, he pours out his life, his power in the midst of our storms. He infuses you with resurrection life. Two more. Here's the third resource. And that is... Simply rehearsing the past mercies of God. I mean, think about all the goodness of God to Israel. They've still been slaves. We may never even heard of them, but God's and his mercy. Deuteronomy 7 said, I didn't choose you because you're more in number, because you're the smallest one among them, but I chose you because I loved you. God gave them miracles, fed them with manna, Gave him a pillar of cloud, gave him a pillar of fire, gave him water out of the rock. The Lord had blessed them, blessed them. But to listen to them, to listen to a lot of people, you think God never did anything for anyone. Do you know one of the most healthy spiritual exercises is to rehearse the blessings of the Lord? 
begin to get in Ephesians 1 and talk about all the spiritual blessings of his election to us and his forgiveness of us and his inheritance in the saints. See, when we get discouraged, all we can see is problems. When we stop rehearsing the blessings of the Lord, our vision becomes distorted. We begin to imagine the worst. We begin to see things wrong, think things wrong. We begin to act wrong. I read another story, a little fictitious illustration, but it illustrates the point. A man found Satan's barn where he kept all of his seeds. And the most prolific seed was the seeds of discouragement. But when he was questioned, here's what he said. When Satan was questioned, he reluctantly admitted that there was one place in which he could never get these seeds to, to bloom. Where's that, they ask. He said, I could never get them to thrive in the heart of a grateful person. And I'm reminded of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name, forget not all of his benefits. Let's don't forget the goodness of the Lord. Lastly, last resource, and I'm done. And this is the moment we call our worship team forward. I'd like, though our hour's late, I'd like us to take some time. To seek the Lord. Could we do that? Could we just take some time to pray? The fourth resource in this text is this. Are you listening? Daily, daily spiritual nourishment. If you'll notice in the text, I'll read verse 5, Numbers 21, 5. You'll notice Israel's attitude. They had lost their appetite for the wonderful, beautiful spiritual things. You ever lost your appetite for scripture? You ever lost your appetite for prayer? You ever lost your appetite for faithful attendance to God's house? You ever lost your appetite to be a servant of the Lord and be that great person, the greatest one among you is the one who serves? This is what's happening to Israel here. Notice it says, and the people spoke against God and Moses, we have brought, why have you brought us out of this wilderness to die? Look at this. For there is no food or water here, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. Called, called the manna, which, by the way, is a type of Jesus. They called it worthless bread. What comes to my heart and my mind is the great Ephesus church where Jesus said, you've left your first love. They lost their appetite for spiritual things. They lost their, or didn't lose it. We don't lose it. We don't lose anything, but we do leave it. When we lose our appetite for spiritual things, we are very susceptible to discouragement. Do you realize if you're full of prayer, if you're in fellowship with God's people, if you're attending God every, worship every Sunday, if you're full of the Word of God, if you're serving God, it's almost like there's a, there's a, a, a it deflects off of you. Things that would be, would drag you down, don't drag you down. You got a Holy Ghost Teflon on maybe. I don't know. I just made that up right there. So don't go out and say, yeah, pastor believes, no, come on. But I think what happens is we got some spiritually anemic people. Anemia is a condition where you lack enough healthy red blood cells to carry adequate oxygen to the body tissues. 
And when we're not daily nourishing, we become tired and we become weak. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I think we all need to pray. God has the resources for us. We can overcome every storm and every discouragement. Why don't we stand? And I'm just, I'm not going to, I'm not going to beg or plead, but I would just say everyone that will and everyone that wants to, let's gather around this altar for a time of singing and worship. We won't go too long, but would you join me and let's just have a time of going after the Lord. Stephanie, would you lead us?